Welcome into That's the Truth. Thank you for tuning in. It's great to have you back. I am Jay Gallegos, and I hope that our time together will help you get one step closer in your journey and further along in becoming who God has intended you to be. My goal is to encourage and inspire you to grow and continue being effective in every area of your life so you can be an impact in everything that you do. Well, I had the honor and privilege to have a conversation with Pastor Daniel Espinosa. He has been a great example and has made a significant impact in my life as well as many others. He is an exceptional leader and a man of God. He is the pastor of the Promised Church. He is a phenomenal husband to his wife, Carmen, and together they have three wonderful teenage daughters. He has a master's in counseling and a master's in divinity. He has also performed doctoral studies in ministry and education. Well, we had a great conversation as he shares a deeper insight in what it truly means to serve God through a community outreach program and the significant impact that it has on not only the community, but the church as well. And well, I came out of this one very inspired and encouraged to serve others, to say the least, and I know it will be a blessing to you as well. It is a pleasure to invite you into my conversation with Pastor Daniel Espinosa. Pastor Espinosa, thank you so much for doing this with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, my brother. It's good to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I, I've admired your leadership for, for quite some time. Um, we go back uh, a few years and back when I was younger, I've always admired everything you've done with the Promise Church and what you've done with the community and what um, the way that you lead. And uh, I've always admired that from afar and I've learned so much from you. Thank you. Likewise, it's been great to see you develop from a young man and and working with the youth and working in music and then to the position and the place that you've arrived at to right now, the things that you are endeavoring for the future in social media and podcasts and writing. I'm expecting a book from you soon. So some great things from you, my brother. Thank you so much. God's been good. Um, I don't know about a book just yet. And it's funny you mentioned that. I've always had that in my heart for so long. Um, not to sure when the, the right timing of when that will be, but that is definitely in the back of my mind. And we could probably share about that and talk about that uh, in a later time. But something that I do remember yeah. always about you and your church and the way that you've reached out to um, the community and the way that you interact with people, I've always remembered and it stuck with me so much and it impacted me how you outreach and you care so much for the homeless and for um for the community and and how you do that and uh, i've always remembered and i've always mentioned this to everyone that i talk to when i refer to you uh, i'm always saying he's such a great leader in the way that he reaches a community and he has a special way of doing it and i think that's a very special gift and and how you're involved with that and how you outreach and uh and th this goes back even before social media was a thing right so where did that start for you? And when did you begin to care and serve the way that you do in the community? Well, there's two things. So I guess number one is, is Matthew 25, 35 through 40, where Jesus tells his disciples that he was hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, you know, imprisoned, and teaching us that our role as Christians is to go out and to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty and close the naked and, you know, bring healing to the sick and freedom to those imprisoned. And so that, that is a part of being a Christian that we forget because we get so insulated in our churches and our churches are always so phenomenal. 
great preaching, great power of the Holy Ghost, that it gets really comfortable in there. But we forget that Jesus is telling us to to go and seek and save those which are lost, which is his mission. And then number two, being aware of the community that our church is in. So our church is in in the barrio, and it's in the barrio of Magnolia here in Houston. And I'm three miles from downtown, so it's only natural for me to be responsive to the need around us. And that's with the homeless, that's with, you know, the alcoholic and the drug addict, which, you know, with with the poor, which is my community. So for me to really, if God put me in that community, I should be serving that community. Um, So maybe my ministry would be different if the Lord had put me in Bel Air Memorial, but the Lord put me right by downtown. So it's just a natural extension. So everything that we do feels really organic. Like, well, this is what we should be doing. Like, it's just it just seems obvious once we're doing it that the Lord places there for a reason. So, and I guess you know number three would be you know Brother Kilgore being my pastor, being a really giving, loving person, and you know for me to teach my church to be giving and loving, it has to be beyond just giving and loving to ourselves but giving and loving to those who can't pay us anything back, who maybe not be looked at by society as somebody deserving of that, but to God, he loves them. So we do that because, you know, of the scripture. Yeah. I love that. And that's, that's something that I've seen from afar for, for such a long time. And in, and even in the way that your church does it and the way they buy into it, the way they, they serve and they really take after you for that. Um, and it's so genuine. It's so genuine. And um, if it wasn't, it would stand out. But I can truly say I've seen it for myself and you've done it for so long, even before social media. And then nowadays, that's that's such a big thing where uh, it's it's easy to post something where it's like, hey, look, I'm out doing this and uh, we're a part of this. And, and in some cases, that's perfectly fine, right? But when nobody was posting anything, you know, it was very, it was, it was still genuine the way they all did it. Well, I'm not trying to throw shade or, or call people out here, but I, I, for myself, when we would do things like this growing up in church, it was like a once a year thing that we would do. And it made us feel really good about ourselves. Like, Hey, you know, what, what do you do for God? You know, well, once a year, we go out to feed the homeless or go to the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving. And we feel like we've, we've fulfilled our obligation with God by a one-time little act. And I felt that we need to be doing consistent. If, if we're doing it for ourselves, then that's fine. But if we're really doing it for the people that God wants us to be reaching, then it needs to be something more consistent, more faithful. And so from that point, we we determined, you know, we're going to do this as often as we can, at least once a month. If we can weekly, you know, let, let, let's really commit to impacting and making a difference and making a change to touch and change lives and not to relieve a feeling of guilt in ourselves. And so I have to be careful of saying that because I'm not saying other churches are doing that out of a selfish thing or these things. But I think inside each of us is this desire to do something more for the Lord. And I'm just trying to give us an avenue to do that. And so we do get a lot of people that don't come from our church. Um, 
to join up with us and other churches partner with us in the apostolic church and even outside the apostolic movement because they want to be a part of, you know, doing something more for Jesus Christ than just attending church. Yeah, I love that. And and you guys really, truly live that the way that you preach it and you teach it. You can tell how connected you are with that. And that's such an example to me. It has been for, for such a long time. And here recently, uh, the Promise Church gave out about or more, about 300 sack lunches in the heart of the city of Houston. What is behind the act of serving that engages the heart of people and how they care for others? So, you know, the Bible tells us that there's like a fire shut up within our bones, that out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. Uh, Mark 16, 15 says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So when you receive the Holy Ghost, it's given to you so you can be his witness unto, you know, the uttermost parts of the world. But, uh, it, you know, sometimes church life becomes so encapsulated in just the, the church that you attend that you don't do much outside of going to conferences from church. and. I didn't want to fall into that, you know, that that step for our church. So I determined to try to find ways to take us out of our four walls and to go be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in a tangible way. Um, and and one of the things that's real beautiful about it is, you know, our our church is probably one of the poorer churches in the city. We don't have, you know, a lot of rich people in our church, but they're rich in other areas, but the beautiful thing is, you know, when we when we go out to do this work, all of our problems, all of our marriage issues, all of our personal problems, all of our, you know, financial situation, when we're out feeding the homeless and we're really seeing people who are really down and out, it, it, it helps you to appreciate, you know, what God has given you and, and where you're at. Our children are different, you know, we'll sit down to eat dinner. And while we're about to enjoy this big feast, our children will start praying, God, bless the homeless right now that are out in the cold and in the rain and and have nothing to eat. And it, and it gives you an appreciation for that meal that you're about to eat because your children are recognizing we're feasting over here compared to what the homeless are having tonight. And we're in a warm home while they're out there freezing. And and it's showing our kids, you know, that there's more to serving God than just going to church. So it, that that's the biggest impact that that comes to us, aside from you know, getting to baptize our homeless people and pray them through to the Holy Ghost, of course. Yeah, that's that's tremendous, and that that's so fascinating how it changes somebody's perspective when there's a difference between just telling someone about community outreach and it's like, Hey, there's, there's lost souls. There's people with needs. And then you go out and you show them and they see it. Uh, it changes everything for them. And there's something that just triggers their heart. And I think that's very special and is very spiritual in, in some cases. And I'll, I'll never forget the, the moment where I saw my son's face. My son is eight now, but he was uh, maybe about six or seven. It wasn't too long ago. Um, he, he saw someone that was in need on the side of the road and he started asking me questions about it. I never saw the, 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 the face that, you know, on his, his eyes, you know, he was just, it, it just stood out to him so much. And, and I love the way that the promise church does that. They're so effective in it. And they've seen, you've seen so much result in that. 
what has been probably one of the biggest things that you've learned uh, or better yet, what has community outreach has taught you most about people through this type of interaction? You know, it's so helpful for our church to understand why Jesus would touch lepers and eat with sinners and publicans because he saw the value and the intrinsic worth of every single human being, man, woman, and child. And at our church, to keep us from going into a self-righteousness, into going into a uh, a, a, a place of pride, going out to the streets and seeing that these people are just like us. It's just that something happened in their life. It put them in the situation. And, and when we see people out there, we'll meet people out there that, man, they can quote the scripture, super intelligent, you know, very, you know, highly educated people. And something happened and now they're living on the streets. And it, it lets us see, you know, some of us are just paycheck from paycheck away from being out on the streets ourselves. And, and, and here are these people out here that have worth and we shouldn't look down on them. We shouldn't be judgmental of them. Um, doesn't mean that we have to become their caretakers, you know, 24 seven, but if we can have an impact on their life and, and, and give them some help and, and be a blessing, it allows the Holy Ghost to to operate through you. And so it's a great opportunity for me to let people who want to do ministry, but they might not be ready for our church pulpit yet. Well, there's a pulpit right there out on the street. Go talk to somebody. Go share your testimony. Go listen to them. Go love them. Go hug them. You know, eat with them and and, and realize this is what God has called you to do, to reach everybody and if you can reach those people, you can. somebody will reach your family. Somebody will, will reach out to the people that you're praying for because you're reaching out to somebody else's family. Uh, the down and out, and I love it when we can get those people that are so down and out, you know, into church and living for God because they become bold witnesses for the Lord. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love that thought and, and how you express it from the heart. And uh, community outreach has impacted the church in so many different ways. And there's so many facets to it. And, and there's a lot of other churches that do it extremely well. And it's just the promise church. It's, it's such an identity that, that I see from the outside. Um, but community outreach has, has such an impact from different facets. Do you find that it makes people feel uh, just a little more committed, maybe just a little more compassionate? A loving or even empathetic about how they feel and how they interact with people? I look at it like it lets you be and feel like a real Christian because does God really look pleasingly upon a person who just attends a lecture every Sunday or Wednesday to get information but never does anything with that? Jesus said that we're supposed to be hearers and doers of the word. Yeah, but the danger with church in in present day Western society is that it's just a consumer uh, kind of a transaction. You just come and eat up the word, and then you go home and try to become richer or, or better, you know, and happier. But to really be a Christian, you're supposed to be doing the work of God, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, from the homeless, you know, that's opened up doors. So we now have. 
uh, entry into three nursing homes that we minister in. Uh, we have every week orphans that are brought to our church that come to our church every Sunday to um, to be ministered to. Um, so, you know, when God saw that our heart was wanting to help people and reach people, the Lord just keeps opening up all these other doors for us to do that. And so it gives our people a chance to really, truly be a Christian and fulfilling the great commission of Jesus Christ that he gave us before he uh, went up to heaven and gave us his Holy Spirit. So that's what I'm endeavoring to do as a pastor, give our people the opportunity to get their feet on the ground and their hands wet and, and do the work of God. They might never be called to be a pastor of a church, but they can go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ to people and my role is to help them to find an opportunity to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. And not that you need my validation in any kind of way, but I think that God has definitely put the appropriate leadership and the church in the right position to be able to be effective in, in that kind of way and in that role. And we see so many examples in the Bible where Jesus would teach to the disciples from a mentoring role or from um, just from teaching what the, the true word, right? And he didn't leave it there. He would go out and show them. And then shortly after he, he, he just spoke about something, he would go and show them physically what it looked like or what that was about. Do you feel that there's like a spiritual word that we get from a Sunday, for example, in, in the church, and then we can take it and apply it in a practical way? How can we better do that as Christians? How can we take that word and, and really bring it to life in a practical view? So, you know, from from 12 to 24, you know, I was I was saved, baptized, had the Holy Ghost. I didn't do anything for God. I just went to church and I tried to live right in these things and I backslid for for a period there. But when I came back to God, I realized I, I can't just attend. You know, I was getting phenomenal preaching from James Kilgore and you know, we had everybody coming into to Life Tabernacle from Lee Stone King to, you know, uh, Billy Cole and Brother Urshan and Brother Teclamarian. So we had amazing, amazing, amazing preaching. And it it was felt so good. I, I, I guess I thought I didn't have to do anything for God because I felt so great, you know, from the preaching. But I also realized, you know, God, God created me more than to just hear great preaching. I need to learn how to to make it practical, the theology and, and reach people with it. And so, yeah, my brother, it's, it's, it's a challenge to, to take a powerful Sunday service and then go and, and make it real. So the way I did it when I was, you know, just learning stuff, I would pretty much just go re re preach whatever pastor Kilgore preached that Sunday to a friend or a relative or when I was in Bible college, what my professors taught me that day, I'd share, I'd go share that with somebody. I wasn't ready to do the work just yet on my own, but I could at least tell somebody about what impacted me. And that kind of got me started on going outside of myself and just receiving to share in word. And then I realized I also want to share in action. You know, that, that, that saying says, you know, it's a thought that counts. Well, that's not really in the Bible. 
you know, action, you're judged by your actions, not by your thoughts. And I, I believe that the church should be a church of action. And so it, it, it's really hard because you got to be pushing and, and pulling and, you know, leading in that direction all the time. But it's, I believe it's what God wants us to do. We're supposed to be churches of action beyond Wednesday and Sunday. It should be a church of action during, you know, all the other days. Um, maybe not at the building, but the people should be active and involved in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Right, right. So when it comes to community in itself, uh, amongst the church, it's played such a key role when it comes to strong fellowship amongst the church members in itself, especially in the Spanish community, you know, you get some coffee and you get some sweet bread and you get people talking and, and it's, it's always a good time. And you've seen community from the outreach perspective out in the streets and the hands-on you've seen how it's impacted people and gotten them to serve and it's changing, it's changed them. Uh, but how have you seen it within the church uh, build stronger fellowship and has it, engaged more people into the church from a participation uh, and a growth view? So there's different levels of, of community, you know? So you have a community in the church that everybody goes to hear the speaking. Then you have like what you were mentioning, there's the fellowship, you know, drinking coffee, eating sweet bread, and you have the fellowship of, of breaking of bread. Then you have the fellowship of, of working together. And that's another level of community when you're blood, sweat, and tears, when we're, you know, arriving at the church at 10 o'clock and we're making sandwiches, making hot dogs, making barbecue sandwiches, you know, sorting clothes. And then we're carrying all these boxes and tables to the car, driving out to the place, setting up, working with each other, watching each other's back, making sure all of our kids are taken care of you know, praying for, you know, people that come for prayer and, you know, serving alongside with, uh, you know, the people next to us there. Um, so, so, so it, it's, it's just another way of, of deepening connection because you get to see a different side of people when, when you're working with them than when you're eating with them or when you're sitting next to them in a service. You know, all of these are important. But it, it just gives you another opportunity for community to happen. And, you know, and, you know, sometimes we get to see because when we're in a, a church service, we only get to hear the, the pastor. But when we're out feeding the homeless, I get to he see other people preaching and talking and witnessing and seeing them get to feel like, wow, like I was impactful to that person. When I was praying with them, they started crying. Like usually I'm crying when pastor you know, lays hands on me, but now they get to feel what I feel, you know, you laid hands on somebody and then I get to go congratulate them and, and encourage them. And so that community isn't just us getting to know each other, but it's the community of us getting to encourage each other in doing the work of God and feeling, you know, the power that God pours into us when we're being his hands and feet. So that's a really special thing about getting to do community outside of the church. Yeah. That's so special. And I think all of the community that you have inside the church gets, just brings it back full circle whenever you're doing it outside of the church, right outside of the church body. Yeah. We're more closer connected to each other because, you know, we were out there, you know, and especially like when it, like it, it rained on us and it didn't go mm. right. And, 
you know, or it was discouraging or, you know, the homeless people were yelling at us or the police were telling us we couldn't do it that day. And we commiserate with each other, you know, and, it, you know, ups and downs, you know, was, uh, we we need to be with each other when things aren't going right and to 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 suffer with each other a little bit and, and to, you know, to sweat with each other. All of these things make it bring us closer together as brothers and sisters in Christ when we're back in church. There's more trust. There's more community um, because we've been out there working and serving with each other. You mentioned a little bit about how the authorities um, probably got onto you a little bit about, you know, maybe not being able to do it that day. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Well, I'm not trying to get myself in trouble here. Police are listening, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, so so Houston ha, has has a law that uh, says you're not allowed to to feed the homeless, or you're not allowed to feed more than five people. Okay. And so it's not enforced in Houston because it would probably look really bad on the city for being heartless. Um, so some the police have been really good with this. They'll come over and they'll tell us like, hey, you know, wrap, wrap it up, and then um, you know, finish what you're doing, and then. Here's our liaison, you know, get in touch with them and, and, and work out a partnership because they, the, the city uh, under Turner uh, and um, the mayor that we had before him and, and East Parker, they made it really hard. You have to have a certified kitchen. You have to have each one of the persons that works in the kitchen be certified by the city. You have to have certain kind of commercial uh, appliances and refrigerators, and then you have to get written permission from any place that you would go uh, disperse food in. So if it's from the park, from the parks and parks and recreation, and so if it's in a place downtown, whoever owns that property, and of course they don't want to give you permission because then they're liable. Um, and so we just we just go out to where the homeless are, and we're respectful of the police and the authorities. And whenever they come over and they tell us to do something or not do something. Uh, we we do exactly what they tell us to do, and we submit to their authority when they're out there, and we we just go out. And so our our our, our plea is, well, you know, we brought you know twenty people with us, twenty times five, we should be allowed to feed at least a hundred people. Um, you know, each one of us feeding five people. So, uh, but no, we usually feed about one hundred and fifty people when we go out downtown. Yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't want to get you in trouble in any kind of way, but uh, I, I know you guys, you know, care and do check into the legalities of all of that. So kind of take me back. Um, here we are at the end of February uh, in 2022. We just started the year right back in uh, this time of 2020. It was completely different, right? Here we are at the uh, at the face of the pandemic right in the middle of it. And it hasn't even peaked yet. And um, if we can call it post-pandemic, you know, why is church attendance not what we expected it would be at this stage? We're in here now in 2022. We're looking at it um, maybe in hindsight, possibly, uh, partially maybe. You know, I would think that the churches would be lined out with people wanting to hear the gospel or hearing, you know, some the message of salvation and miraculous power. You know, why is the attendance now after the pandemic? or in the stage we're in, uh, in the condition that it's in? You know, it could be different factors. You know, revel- you know, when we look at the coming of the Lord in Revelation and, and the Gospels, it says that 
that there should be a falling away. I was expecting that during pandemic, all of the backslidden apostolic young people, you know, 20, 30 year olds would, you know, would have a wake up call and return to the church. And it looks like they just went more into the bars. So, you know, like you're saying, um, the people of the world haven't responded to COVID as, as something to get them to get serious about God. And so right now, in fact, it, it, it's, I don't know if it's separating a weeding shaft or people are using COVID as an excuse not to go to church, but they can still go to the movies and the ball game and the stores, but they're afraid to go to church because of whatever reason. So, um, of course, you know, society has changed with, with the advent of technologies from the 80s to now where there, there wasn't a lot of competition with the church on Wednesdays and Sundays. We're now with Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and all of these things, you know, where people just have so much entertainment, you know, PS5s and Xboxes and online games and YouTube, that there's so many distractions that are pulling people away um, from church. And, you know, I've seen a lot of churches right now dismissing their Wednesday night services or going all online because people aren't going to church anymore. So, um, it, it, that is detrimental because, you know, uh, I enjoy listening to sermons online and watching sermons, but there's nothing like being in church in the presence of God with the community of believers, which is what the church is, ecclesia. It means, you know, a gathering together of people, um, an assembly of people. Right. So you can't really be the church unless you're getting together. Yeah. Definitely. I was just talking about that with someone the other day and they were sharing with me a little bit about their story and their testimony. And I said, what, what you really need is community. You need community because the absence of that is why you're in that situation and why you feel that way. But th it's definitely powerful to be amongst people that are fighting and uh, not only believing what you believe, but also fighting similar battles. And hey, I find I find hope in you fighting. And you just being here, knowing that you're in that situation, that brings a lot of strength to me. And there's so much power in in that uh, as well. So when the pandemic was at its peak, we were all forced to shut down. And obviously the close interaction was limited. That impacted community so much. Everyone leaned on the online church model for the first time, possibly. Um, is this something that you already were doing online? Were you already going live with your services or is this something that was implemented um, on the curve? Yeah, so we didn't have to adjust online because we were already broadcasting and 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 going Facebook Live and putting stuff on YouTube. So for us, the adjustment was not being at church for six weeks or however long we, we were closed. And, but we didn't, you know, we were already doing these things, so so we we were prepared for that. I know a lot of apostolic churches, as pastors didn't believe in Facebook, had to get Facebook so they could go online and connect with their church community. But uh, we were on there. We're trying to to do a better job of continuing uh, in, in that format, while at the same time have powerful church uh, services live and in person. 
and I think you 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 all do that so well. You have an amazing team. When I had the opportunity there to visit a few months back, uh, your your team is amazing. Everybody is is on point with everything that they have to do, and they do that so well. And they do it from the heart, and and they they serve uh, very loving, very loving people at the Promise Church, and and I love that very important attribute, of course. And this is something that we were kind of pushed into. Uh, because of the pandemic, something that we're kind of forced into and we had her back against the wall. But what's your view on the hybrid church now going forward and, and how does it impact the future of the church and the interaction? Um, just simply because, you know, not every church ha- had it before the pandemic. And then now when you eliminate it, or maybe some leaders would have to have the decision to make, do we eliminate it? Do we keep it? If you had eliminated, do we bring it back? Because of the lack of participation now that everything is open, now people are more used to, well, I just, you know, sit back and get complacent and just catch it online and on my own time. So what's your view on the hybrid church um, from here going forward? I believe every local congregation is going to have to see what works best for them. Um, You know, a few churches, you know, they, they are having, you know, great revival in person and they've been able to push past, you know, this um, lackadaisicalness from people in church attendance and church seriousness. Um, But I would say for the most part, most churches are going to probably operate better in a hybrid mode of having live services and making available, you know, live stream. And not just because of, you know, the local assembly, but because of people beyond, you know, our our local community uh, reaching or being reached by what we're producing. And so I, as a pastor, still believe that those that are within range of driving to the church should be at church. On, on Sundays and Wednesdays or Tuesdays, whenever their their services are, and to to try to do the extra things that they have at the church, if they have prayer meetings or or outreach and those things, and I really believe the hybrid is more for you know during times when you're sick, during times when you're unavailable to be at the service, and when you live in a different community, but. I still think that those that are a part of a local assembly should be in attendance at that local church. Yeah, I agree. Totally important. Um, something about being there in person that you cannot really transmit through a screen. And like you mentioned, I love watching sermons online. Uh, I like to catch a lot of material and, and, and go through it because I learn from it. Um, you know, there's so much that I learned from others. Uh, there's so much that I've learned from you. Uh, preaching online, you know, I'll, I'll scroll through and, and, you know, catch up on some sermons and catch up on different, um, different things like that. So that's extremely important. And I love what you were talking about, by the way, with, um, the message that you shared about telling, uh, what was it? The tell, telling, help me out here, but telling the devil to be silent. He has the right to, yeah, he has the right to remain silent. The right to remain silent. Yes. Tell me a little bit more about that. How, how, how did you get that? Um, that? That's something the Lord gave me a, a long time ago. Um, just because I'm, I'm a person that is usually uh, introspective and a little bit of a loner. 
And so I'm always with my thoughts. And I know some of the thoughts that come into my head, they're not from me. They're, they're from the enemy uh, trying to discourage me or dissuade me in some way. And and if I'm not careful, well, then I, I let myself get taken by discouragement or by pessimism. And I've had to learn to, you know, to silence that voice and to gravitate to the voice of the Lord. And so I felt that I was something I needed to share with others who they're either hearing thoughts in their mind or they're being discouraged by friends and family against their, you know, decision to walk with God or just the worldliness of this world. And so we need to learn how to to put a, a stop to the power of that voice. And we might not be able to stop that voice from coming to us, but we should have the power to stop the influence and the impact that that voice would have in our lives. And so, you know, whose report shall we believe? We, sh- we will believe the report of the Lord and, and, and moving in that direction rather than believing the lies of the devil. Thank you f- so much for sharing that, Pastor, because that word really, truly gave me a lot of encouragement. But more than that, in, in a deeper way, it gave me a, a life because that's something personally that, that I struggle with as well. And, and to be just a little transparent, I've been at the pulpit before or maybe even minutes before being introduced and taking the pulpit to share a message that's supposed to be encouraging, that's supposed to be life for others, right? And here I am in my head thinking thoughts like or having thoughts or being attacked, you know, from the enemy side with thoughts like literally like a voice that I could hear clearly saying, really, this is what you're about to present. And I've been at the pulpit already with the mic in my hand speaking. And as I'm speaking, I don't know how this happens. Maybe you can give me your insight. But as I'm speaking, as I'm introducing the message, and here I have a voice in my head saying, really, this is, this is what you came out with? Like, this is what you're going to give them? You know, and, and it's obviously not the word of God. It's obviously not because it's, it's opposing it. And that word right there that you shared and being transparent with that and just being so open about how you dealt with that gave me so much encouragement. You know, before I preach, I often tell the Lord, especially when I'm feeling like a little bit like unsure of like what I'm going to take to the pulpit that moment is like really what God wants to that moment. So I'm like begging the Lord, like, okay, God, if you don't want me to do this, like have some visiting minister walk into the sanctuary right now. You know, let let somebody come in, like, and I'll know, like, okay, that's the person that's supposed to be preaching. And then they don't, sh- nobody comes in. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, Lord, then then what I'm about to go take there must be what you have for the people, because I, I you know, because I second guess myself a lot, and you know, I, I'll, I'll struggle sometimes with doubt and these things. But sometimes, you know, and then it works out that, you know, the message that I thought that was going to be amazing, you know, and I had to struggle to get people to the altar. And, right. and the message that I wasn't sure about, people were telling me, like, man, that's one of the best messages you've preached in a long time. And I was like, I wasn't even sure, if, you know, if this was, you know, really what I needed to do. So it's it's very important that, that once we, we, we feel that the Lord has put us in that position, then and it is from the Lord, and what we have is from God for the people. And and then we just do our very best, and we push through. You know, sometimes yeah. I feel like 
um, when I'm preaching, I look at the people and there's certain people there, you know, they look, I don't know, they're angry at me at that day or something. And I can feel like spiritual opposition right. and you have to learn how to push through spiritually in the name of Jesus to just go beyond that without attacking those people from the pulpit right. and, and those things. But, you know, to, to, to overpower spiritually any oppositional forces that are coming against you. I remember a couple of years back, I preached at a, a youth service and you were there and I, I felt so intimidated just because I love you, Pastor. And, and I, I, I look so much, I look up to you so much. And there was other ministers there as well that I look up to. And when I finished, I came up to you and I greeted you and, and I mentioned, I was like, man, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I didn't really get the message across. I feel like I wasn't clear enough. And I was just kind of stressing out about that. And, and I was open, open about that with you. And, and one thing that you mentioned that stuck with me ever since was you never beat yourself up after a sermon. You never beat yourself up after, after sharing the message. And that has always stuck with me. And I wanted to thank you for that because that, that's always given me an encouragement. And I remember those words, you know, you never beat yourself up and you go out there and do what, what God has uh, given you to do. And those are things that, you know, Brother Kilgore put into me, you know, I mean, the only time I would beat myself up would be if I didn't give my very best, but I've I've never gone up to a pulpit and not tried to give my very best. It might have fallen flat and, and not have been what I was hoping it would be, but I can say in myself, I, I gave my very best to the Lord, to the scripture and to the people that were there. So, you know, you can't beat yourself up if if you gave your best over God gave you to give. So, right. So when it comes to sermon ideas and, and series and topics, how, how do you manage that as, as you get them, you, you write them down on your phone or do you, how do you go about that? Yeah. You know, for me, you know, it's so random how the Lord gives things to me. So, so I just have to always be ready. You know, um, I, I heard Jeremy in your, in your last podcast and, uh, he talks about he he uh, he speaks into his vo- phone the the voice memos when he gets an idea of something and so I I'll have my phone or I have a pencil paper or I'll tell somebody like please help me remember this or um, because you know usually when I'm reading a Bible the Lord will give me a scripture there and then the Lord will expand that and I'll, I'll get a message from there sometimes it's silly things like I see a billboard and there's a saying on there or or you know a lyric from a song or you know, from a book of poetry or a book of literature that I'm reading or a story of somebody's life. And, you know, I all, I mean, I always bring it back to scripture, but where, where the idea, the seed of the message comes from, comes from different places. Sometimes the Lord just whispers something into your ear, something into your heart or a topic. Um, uh, I, the only thing I try not to, to preach is, um, like personal situations of like somebody's making me mad at church or somebody's fighting with me or trying to come against me or, you know, I, I try not to preach those kind of things. I, I, I just try to, to just preach, you know, something that's for everybody in the church, not something that's a personal battle. And that's something that, I mean, it might be a personal battle, but it's not, that's not why I'm preaching it. It's because the Lord has given me a message for the whole church. I, I never tried to preach a message to one person in the church. Um, I'm always looking to hear from God for everybody. And then I'm surprised by how many people come over and tell me afterwards, like, that was just for me. Like, how did you know? And like, I didn't know. I was just preaching what the Lord gave me, but the Lord knew. 
Yeah, that's so fascinating, isn't it? How how powerful the word is like that. And from from the preacher's view, from the pastor's view, looking on, you 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 feel that pressure. You know, how do you deliver a message that is going to the to speak to the hardworking dad trying to provide for his family, and at the same time speak to uh, the single mother trying to keep things together and uh, at the same time, on the other end, you're trying to preach or reach to someone that is recovering from from drugs or coming, you know, that that maybe has two, three weeks in the church and doesn't really know a lot of what's going on or the culture or what's going on in the environment. You know, so there's definitely pressure behind that. When it comes to receiving word from God like that, I don't know if you would agree that not every word that comes from God like that is specifically for the church or maybe even to share in a message. Sometimes that's just for maybe for, for us directly. There's been plenty of times in my experience where I've, I've felt something and I actually felt the same confirmation level that I did to share a message. I felt the same confirmation to keep that to myself and, and to just be blessed in that word and be strengthened in that. How, how do you set that apart? You know, so learning to hear the voice of God and differentiate it from your own voice, from the voice of the world and the voice of the enemy is a really important, uh, you know, tool that, that every minister needs because some ministers make the mistake of preaching things that God told them just for themselves. That's why it's good to have mentors, leaders, close relationship with your pastor or go to Bible college. Um, I think it was probably Brother Griffin that that taught us that uh, lesson in Bible college about don't uh, preach everything that the Lord tells you. Some things are private just for you. And I'm the kind of person like if the Lord tells me something I think I'm supposed to share with everybody. But I've had to learn that some things were meant just for me or for my family or for a person and not meant for the whole church. And, I, I, you know, reading the Bible is the best way to learn to hear God's voice. It's, it's not through prayer. It's through reading your Bible and then praying that you learn to, to differentiate God's voice. Because the more scripture you have flowing in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, the more you're able to distinguish what is from God and and what is not from God. And so that's why it's so important to, to meditate upon the Word of God, to be able to know how God thinks. Um, and it's not something you, 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 you grasp intellectually. It's something that gets into your soul where you know in your heart and your soul that this is from the Lord and not from yourself or from the enemy. Yeah, that's so good. That is so good. Tell me a little bit about Bishop Kilgore, speaking of mentors, and he was a figure that was uh, so present in a lot of, in, in so many ways and in a lot of people's lives. There's a lot of people now in, in my generation that will refer to him as Papa Kilgore, um, Bishop Kilgore. Um, there's so many stories that we've heard about him. What, what did he mean to your life and what did you learn most from him or what was the takeaways as, as a mentor? So, you know, again, like I was talking about, you know, different levels of, of community. There's different levels of relationships. So at 12, when I'm getting baptized at Life Tabernacle, you know, he's my pastor. But from far away, you know, we're at a church of 1,500 people. You know, I'm just this one skinny little Mexican kid in the church. You know, there's and, – and he's the assistant general superintendent of the entire United Pentecostal Church International then the Texas district superintendent. So he was always a very, very busy man. 
very loving, and very present, but you know, I, I didn't have a, a close personal connection with him. But at that time, I didn't need that. I just needed a pastor to preach to me, teach to me, and, and show love and make a, a church community of, of love there. Um, it wasn't until I was uh, 24 that I, I, I kind of showed up on Brother Kilgore's radar and um, the, he, he kind of started pulling me in and started asking of me. Well, I guess he asked, the, the way I really started getting close to him, he asked me to start teaching at, at Life Christian Academy, which um, I really, really didn't want to do. But he was my pastor. He asked me to do it. So, so I left my job teaching as professor at the Houston Community College. So I left the Houston Community College to go teach fifth grade for Brother Kilgore. Wow, um, and I, I guess that that submission to him, and you know, that taking the pay cut and taking a, a step down from teaching college to to teaching, you know, fifth graders, um, showed him that that I would be a person that would be willing to submit to his leading and his 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 guidance. And then, of course, it, it totally shifted my whole ministry, where it's now a lot of teaching in my preaching without people even knowing that I'm teaching them because the Lord started making me teach fifth graders. And then from there, you know, and, and then another big thing. So um, I, after I taught at OCA for one year, the next year we moved to San Antonio while my wife was doing her medical residency and I didn't get a teach that year. And so I guess the students and the staff wanted me back. So Brother Kilgore flew to San Antonio um, the next year and he asked me while I was living in San Antonio if I would teach in Houston for him, which is a really long commute to drive from San Antonio to Houston to go teach school over there. Right. But I did it because my pastor asked me to do it. So that was an exhausting year of driving back and forth from Houston to San Antonio to go teach at the school. But I wanted to be submissive to my pastor. And then... When we finally moved back and we started the Promise Church and, and Brother Kilgore was getting older, then we we got really, really close. And one of the reasons we got really close, Brother Gallegos, and, and, and I'm going to emphasize this part, is because people wonder, like, why, why did him and I have this connection near the end of his life? Yeah. Uh, because of the times, one of the ministers um, from Louisiana was was preaching and he remembers being in a service with T.W. Barnes, and T.W. Barnes was already in his 90s and was, you know, didn't have many years left on the earth. And he had been known for doing so many healings and miracles in his ministry. And he went over and he told Brother Barnes, he said, I want a double portion of your anointing. And Brother Barnes told him, you can't have it. And he's like, why not? You know, I'm a great minister and I love you. And he's like, you can't have my anointing because you haven't served me. He goes, if you, if you want somebody's anointing, you have to serve them. So I, I endeavored from that point on. I go, I'm going to wash Brother Kilgore's car. I'm going to shine his shoes. I'm going to take his clothes to the cleaners. I'm going to go take him lunch. I'm going to do whatever that man needs to get done. I'm going to do it for him. He needs me to chauffeur him. He needs me to to be in here to listen to, if he needs me to go run errands, if he needs me to go get his mail, that's what I'm going to do. And so me and uh, my wife and some of the people from our church, we, we just became, you know, as much as we he would let us be his caretaker. And 
provide him with with vehicles and rides and food and 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 serve him and doing that service of him to him allowed me to get to be around him and then he would talk to me and pour out into me and share with me and talk to me and teach me while I was out there well I'm I'm here to wash your car <laughs> I'm here to shine your shoes he's like okay well come over here and sit down now and let me pour into you to the point that you know we we were kind of like best friends there near the end because wow. um because of my desire to want to be around him and to learn of him i didn't ask him for anything i didn't want anything from him i just wanted to be around him and, and to to learn from him and to pick up from his spirit and i think the lord gave me those intangible things and in apart from bishop kilgore wow that is so powerful and as you're sharing that my mind just goes immediately in different directions but more so in the direction of uh elijah and elijah you know and mm -hmm. and how elijah was serving the water before he split the waters after receiving the mantle and that that's so so powerful in in how you live through that and and that kind of leads me into the into that area of, of mentorship and the importance of it and how the younger preachers need that but if you don't have access to someone like that how do you get under the covering of someone like that do you find your pastor to serve them is it specifically is there like a everybody has their own story right you know do mentors just happen or is that intentional how do you get under the covering of a mentor some pastors really are into mentoring but that's few and far between some that have it it's only for their members in these things and so um so one thing is like you know I, i've allowed myself to be mentored from afar from like people like the stone king brother girly just from their ministry their teaching you know I'm, i'm learning from them and and they're mentoring me you know secondhand from their teaching from brother anthony mangan you know from really studying you know, their messages and because I'm only seeing their public life. I'm not there for their personal life like I was with right. Brother Kilgore. So, mm -hmm. but they are mentoring me in a way. So I attribute, you know, uh, to them certain parts of my ministry is things that I've learned from what I've seen from them. But to, to get under somebody personally, I would say the biblical uh, example is is serving. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Elisha serving Elijah, Moses uh, being served by Joshua, uh, David serving King Saul, and each one of them received attributes from, you know, that elder and, you know, Elisha receiving a double portion of, of Elijah's mantle. And so with Brother Kilgore, you know, you, you couldn't fake your way in, you couldn't, um, you know, he, he wasn't looking for people to serve him and he was very very hard to serve because if you ask brother kilgore hey can i do this for you he would be like no no i can do it i can take care of myself and so i just kind of positioned myself like look i want to do something for you let me do something for you what can i do for you what do you need to get done and I'm, even if it's busy work you know do you want me to file your sermons you know it doesn't matter i want to serve you and You can do mentoring by just going to a mentoring class with a mentor, 
but if, and, and you will learn their information. But if you want to catch their spirit, you're going to need to learn to serve them in a more tangible, personal way. So, like I said, I don't have Brother Gurley's spirit, Brother Stone King's spirit, you know, the, uh, you know, Brother Griffin's spirit, but I have been mentored by their teachings. But I do have maybe a portion of Brother Kilgore's spirit because uh, I literally served him personally and, and worked under him and allowed for, you know, his soul to connect with my soul and our talks and, and our sharing. So there's a very important thing. And so that's why it's important to be in a church. And I would encourage every person go that, that really wants to connect with the pastor and, and get a portion of that mantle. Well, then tell your pastor to bring his extra shoes on Sunday and then go shine them. <laughs> you know, ask your pastor if you can show up at his house with you. I I take my own water hose for the Kilgore's house. Yeah. And I wouldn't even ask his permission. I'd be like, I'm just going to take my bucket. I'm going to take my uh, water hose because he's not going to give me his key to take it to the car wash. So I'll just take my hose and I'll take my, my soap and my bucket and I'll go wash his car. Wow. That's awesome. Um, you know, finding a way to go, uh, you know, to serve and not wanting remuneration and money and in objects and things, but truly wanting, you know, that that's why Gehazi didn't get from Elisha what Elisha got from Elijah because Elisha wanted Elijah's spirit and Gehazi wanted Elisha's stuff. That's so deep. And there's so much that we can dive into that. And we're probably going to have to do a part two about serving. I don't know if you would be down for that at some other time, but we would definitely have to talk about serving and, and how that changes people and how that reaches people. And there's so many facets to that for just serving. Right. But just before Amen. we close out, uh, I want to give you the time to, to give, you know, to close us out with, um, with some encouraging words. But before that, what can you tell to the younger preachers of this generation? What are things that the younger preachers should be doing in the background to improve and to be effective? So my encouragement sometimes sounds discouraging because I'm not trying to pat people on the back and give them fluff. You know, what I tell young people is like what it says in Luke 9, 62. Any person that puts his hand to the plow and turns to look back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And if you feel that God has called you, if God has called you to, to start a church, if God has called you to be an evangelist, a missionary, God has called you to be a help, then you put your hand to the plow and you don't look back. You rip off the, the side view mirrors and the, and the rear view mirror of your vehicle and you look forward and you press for that. You push for that. You fight for that. Don't, don't wait for people to encourage you. Don't wait for somebody to come alongside and try to promote you. You get serious with God. You get serious with the word of God. You get serious with prayer. And then you make yourself available to the leadership in your church to do whatever they ask you to do. And if it was in my case, Brother Kilgore said, Daniel, I want you to preach. And I was like so excited. And he wanted me to preach to the three, four and five year olds in Sunday school class. And he's, he, he promoted me from that to Saturday bus ministry. And it was, I don't know, 10 years later that I was preaching Life Tabernacle. But I wanted with all my heart to serve God. And I did that in the place where he had placed me under my pastor. So young minister, 
get serious about what God has called you to. Stop worrying about your suits. Stop worrying about your your shoes and your tennies and, and, and start worrying about, do you know the scripture? Can you explain the baptism in Jesus' name? Can you explain the oneness of God? Can you explain how to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? Can you pray a person through to the Holy Ghost? in the altar? Can you sit down in a Bible study, and by the time you finish that Bible study, have somebody ready to get baptized in Jesus' name? And if you're not able to do that, then then you need to set aside pulpit ministry until you can do that on a personal level, because you've committed yourself to God without turning back. And so it's important to do it on the ground before you do it up on the pulpit. That's so good. That's amazing. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that. And I feel convicted by that myself. That's worthy of playing back in one speed. Um, so I'm going to give you the time now to close us out, you know, on what lays in your heart now for the church in general. And um, feel free to um, open your heart up to us in, in whatever way you feel. Well, you know, I really feel a burden for, for this generation you know, for your generation, Brother Gaius, and the ones that comes after you in this generation, Z and, you know, the millennials right now, because they're supposed to be the future of the church. And I don't blind myself to the fact that this generation is very, very uh, far away from the church the way that I think that they should be. And I believe that the church needs to go back to praying and to serving, but because we're already preaching the doctrine, we already sing the songs and we have great worship and we have great preaching, but we need to have great praying and we need to have great serving because if you're not praying, God's not moving. And if you're not serving, then you're not moving. So for there to be a movement of the kingdom of God, both the Lord has to be moving and we as his Christians, his servants, his children, we have to be moving because the generation right now is very real, very informed and has big hypocrite sensors. So they can tell which churches are just about doing church and which churches are about doing Jesus. And we're not going to be able to fool them. So we're going to have to be the real thing. So church, go back to praying and go back to serving. And I believe the Lord will have his great will done in our lives by his, for his glory and for his honor in Jesus name. Pastor, thank you so much for being very gracious with your time. Thank you so much for everything that you shared, being open with me and transparent and being willing to do this with me. Um, I really, truly appreciate your life, your testimony. I appreciate how you lead. Uh, I'm one of the ones that observe from afar and I've learned so much from you like that. So I consider you one of my mentors, um, even though I'm not directly under the participation of your church per se, but there's so much about your life from afar that, and, and that's how powerful the testimony and the spirit that you carry and that you have and the anointing that you have in your life that, that it overflows like that. And I could simply stand from afar and just take so much away. And to have the opportunity to speak to you like this in this setting means so much to me. And I know that it's going to be very powerful and encouraging to so many others that will go back and play that. And um, I'm honored and privileged to be able to capture this moment like this. 
and and to be able to share it with um with the world. Thank you so much, Pastor. You're welcome, my brother. And it's a real honor for me to be here with you. Uh, I appreciate you, your wife, your boys so much, and uh, Pastor Jimenez and, and the work y'all are doing there at the church together. And I look forward to, to getting together with you, my brother. I really do appreciate you, and I love you very much. Likewise, Pastor. Thank you so much. You're welcome, my brother. God bless you. Thank you for being part of our conversation today. I will leave some links in the description where you can connect with Pastor Daniel Espinosa and The Promise Church. So don't forget to check that out. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and receive a big warm welcome to the family. Also, you could help us reach others by leaving a good rating and leaving a review or sharing it on social media. And that would mean so much to me. If you like, you can also connect with us through the blog page, inspired2inspired.org. That's inspired, the number two, inspired.org. And for now, continue moving forward in the direction God is leading you. Continue taking steps closer in becoming who God has intended you to be so you can be impactful in every area of your life. God bless, and we'll see you on the next one.